0: everybody. Welcome to another episode of Between the Sheets. I almost forgot the show name for a second. I'm <laughs> um, we are on the first and third Friday of every month here at the United Broadcasting Network here in the lovely city of Burbank. Don't forget you can call in 323-524-2599. I have my lovely round table of women. I have Roxanne. Hi. Cara. Hi. Mara. Hi. I'm never, again, I always put you two together. I know, it's it's Cara <laughs> Deli shit, De- you got Delish- it Delisha. Felicia.
1: Delicia. Yeah. Delisha. Wow. Wow. It's like Felicia Delicia.
0: Yes. Um in the house tonight by popular demand. Yes.
1: <laughs> Very popular. Jenny demand. McNulty. No. Yeah,
0: Jenny. Um we have Tony at the boards. Tony. Tony And I'm saving one of the best for last because she has an announcement to make Ms. Kim Sanchez. Woo! Woo! Hi, y'all. I just wanted to uh, give
2: a quick shout out to the um, Regional Hispanic Institute in Long Beach. Tomorrow they will be honoring me as one of eight women of the year at a really la- nice gala. And I just wanted to give a shout out to them and say thank you so much. Yay! Yay. Yay. Congratulations. That's awesome. Congrats.
0: Um, you know, we've been anticipating this show, well, at least I have, um, anticipating this show. The topic is grief and loss. Um, we have on Zoomy, there she is. How hot are you? Hi. Hi. And you're tatted up and everything. And you're one of my people. Welcome.
1: Thank you.
0: Hey, Cara, can I borrow the book for one sec? Um, Cause <laughs> mine is on my Kindle. She wrote a book called Bearing the Unbearable, Love, Loss, and the Heartbreaking Path of Grief. Joanne Cacciatore, Ph.D. Um, I'll read you what the Huffington Post said, because you just want to hear about this, because you know how wonderful you are, Joanne. Simply the best book I have ever read on the process of grief. Simultaneously heart-wrenching and uplifting. Ira Israel, the Huffington Post. Thank you so much for being our guest here on Between the Sheets.
3: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yay. Mm. This is so weird. You're our first Zoomer. Oh, I am? Yeah, first Zoomer. It, every time I hear the word Zoom, because I'm old, there was this show back in the day called Zoom. And I don't know if anybody <laughs> remembers it except me, and I'm just going to keep moving on. So, um, <laughs> so in any event, um, you're a psychologist, correct?
3: I am. I am actually a professor in the School of Social Work at Arizona State University, and I'm a tenured researcher there. So I, I'm a researcher and also a clinician, and so I... I, for 25 years, have worked with families mostly whose children are dying or have died, but also other traumatic losses like the death, the premature death of a parent or a sibling or a partner, a uh, spouse. So I, I don't generally work with like what we would call normal deaths or like grandma who's 95 who dies. I don't generally work in that area or research that area all my research and all of my practice skills are focused on what we call catastrophic
0: death. Wow. It takes a strong person to really deal with stuff like that. I mean, I, 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 went to school, you know, for psychology. I thought I wanted to be a psychologist or a social worker. And you know, when you're in school, you end up going and doing field work and it was really heart-wrenching for me. I couldn't really disassociate, I would like, be so depressed and so sad that I couldn't solve the problems, mm. so I felt I'd be really shitty at that job. Um, so it really takes someone of strength and fortitude and, and, and balance, so like, why this area? How did you get into this? How did you start out? What was your background like?
3: Oh, okay. So, well, I got into this uh, reluctantly. I lost a child in 1994. I have five children altogether, and I lost one of my children, my fourth one in 1994, and it set me sort of on the path of um, of a very, very, what I call my dark night of the soul. I weighed 88 pounds within mm. a few months after she died and wasn't sure I wanted to live anymore mm. and um, thought to myself, if I survive this, I'm going to make sure that uh, other families don't have to go through this alone. And because I was, I was, I felt very alone. I felt very sort of like I didn't have a lot of really good support after she died. And I had three little kids to take care of. Mm. And I thought this is crazy that we have no sort of uh, strong and compassionate social structure to help families going through this. So then I started a nonprofit, which now has 77 chapters around the world. Our Yay. website gets a million and a half hits a year.
1: Oh, wow. it's great. I,
3: yeah. I started the first um, care farm in the world for traumatic grief. And we we mm. rescue um, abused and tortured animals. And the grieving families come here and they help us inter- care for Aww. and interact with the animals and um and and of course this is my area of publishing research and publication at arizona state university i run a program called the graduate certificate in trauma and bereavement there
4: unbelievable
0: you are an angel Mm -hmm. i mean you truly are an angel
3: oh i'm a fucking demon (laughs) (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. you're one of us (laughs) you're one of us
0: welcome to it welcome to the circle i love your tats too (laughs)
3: <laughs> I I I have uh, a wellspring of compassion for children and animals, um, and I mostly like people. <laughs> but I have no problem. I have no problem engaging in fierce compassion to uh, to to ensure that swift justice takes place when it comes to someone who is violent or harming another.
0: Wow. Now I know Cara, on our panel, has actually read your book
5: <laughs> yeah. i love you you are an amazingly wonderful writer uh, i'm Thank really you. impressed it was beautifully written very elegant and obviously very sad but my goodness you had some very interesting points to make especially about how people um use platitudes because they don't know what else to say <laughs> and um some of the things that people say or oh, you'll get over it soon or isn't it time you know isn't it time you moved on those kind of things uh, just you have to it's like you're in a you're in a group now aren't you you're in a group of people who yeah, it's understand yeah it's a reluctant
3: it's a reluctant club right yes. um, and I, and i think and i think part of where those attitudes come from uh, is the place of wanting to help someone who's grieving but it actually isn't usually helpful it's actually usually really deleterious for people it's actually usually really harmful. I mean, who wants to hear, you know, when when their six year old dies of cancer? Who wants to hear? Well, at least you have two other children. Yes. As mm-hmm. if they're, as if they're interchangeable. Correct. Right? And right. Or God has a plan for you, but but you know, but God didn't have a plan for me because I get to go home and tuck my children into bed. Right. It's sort of like grief
0: isn't really grief because it's like spread out evenly. It's interesting to me because grief i'm usually really happy and i i the way i deal with grief is i don't deal with it um (laughs) you know it's sort of like you know when my like the oh my i had suffered a loss of my grandmother years ago as a as a young adult but you know i'm the person that moved three thousand miles away Mm -hmm. and i was always reluctant to get that phone call and i'm an only child You know get on a plane someone's dead your mother or your father and that actually did happen it was a self-fulfilling prophecy and i got the call and i got on a plane and my mother was a basket case and i ended up just having to go right into work mode i mean they didn't even have funeral they didn't have like the, the the plot things nothing so my mother was like grieving and i'm the one driving all around new jersey which you know whatever getting this all together and i went through the whole thing i did not cry for till one year after Mm -hmm. it hit me one year after and everyone's like oh you just bounced back and it's like fuck you i didn't bounce back i'm just not dealing with the shit." you know (laughs) i mean you know know, and it was when i decided to take that moment to sort of feel and i think uh, i think You know, grief is a very powerful and loss is a very powerful emotion, whether it comes from, you know, death, you know, loss of a relationship, loss of anything. It's a really powerful and debilitating Mm -hmm. emotion. But I think
2: sometimes it's also uh, and I don't know, um, Joanne, if your book deals with that. And I, I do apologize. I didn't read it. Um, I lost lost my sister. Um, We were estranged and she was a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And the phone call came to me one day where um, she had been dead and cremated as a Jane Doe in San Francisco found on a park bench. My mother was making that call to me. And then there's the whole grief and pain of... Could I have done something? And, you know, I was practicing Al-Anon's tough love deal. And was that wrong? Mm-hmm. And there's just so much with grief. Besides the grief, now there's the right. guilt. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? Right. Did you well, experience that? Well, there's
3: so that? many layers, aren't there? Because it's, it's rarely clean, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's rarely clean. It's rarely just the grief. There's the regret and the things we wish we would have would have, should have could have done differently or or something we wanted to say and didn't get to say or you know the sliding doors thing if only I would have done this maybe this wouldn't have happened mm. and and so that's a very real thing with catastrophic death most most people don't most people don't experience that in what we would call a non catastrophic death again no one expects their hundred year old grandma to live to be 200 right, right? I mean right. it just doesn't happen. But when you're talking about a catastrophic death, those are all very natural, normal questions and and um, sort of like pathways of self-doubt that that end up percolating to the surface for us. And, you know, there, the reality is um, there's a writer, Catherine Porter, and one of the things she said really has been profound for me that has stuck with me most of my uh, you know, life adult life that I've been working with grief. And that is, she said, the past is never where we think we left it. Mm
6: -hmm. Yes.
4: Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. Can you explain that?
3: Well, I I was just going to say the reality of that is, for example, uh, at the care, at the care farm, I see clients at the care farm and I had a woman here at the care farm who lost a baby almost 50 years ago. She's in her early eighties. I mean, you know, she was married seven times, lived in 12 States, drank and drugged her way through the grief and numbed herself out with gambling, lost houses. You know, I mean, the reality is we can't, we can't run from, we, I mean, we can run from our grief, but we can't run from the consequences of running from our grief. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so we either learn how to stay with these painful emotions, which can, if we can fully inhabit it, if we can fully inhabit the grief can actually transfigure us and make our lives bigger, not smaller. We'll, we'll become more expanded versions of ourselves Mm -hmm. and, and more courageous versions of ourselves. It's not worth the price. Don't get me wrong. Right. Do not get me wrong. I would give everything to have my child back. Mm -hmm. Right. But here I am. So I either become a very small contracted and, and, um, sort of, you know, uh, plugged up version of me or I allow my heart to break and shatter open to the world and I version me and for me the only way to honor my dead child was to choose the latter
5: wow and so beautifully may I just say
3: yeah can I and how many people have you helped
5: that's the most wonderful thing I mean I love all the stories of the people who came to you um, and how you helped so many different people many years oh, later, as you just said, get yeah, through. Speaking the of
6: helping people many years later, I have a question. So my mother was murdered when I was thirty, and um, I, I was talking to these guys earlier, like you were talking about the platitudes. What I always get from people when I say my mother was murdered is. Ah! And to me, it's just really that makes it so much more difficult for me to talk about it because I know that they are completely uncomfortable now, and I cannot share my feelings. And I was telling them, I just got back from a trauma workshop where we were doing structures and releasing this stuff, and it felt so great that all of these people who have been extremely traumatized in their life, anytime I said, hey, my mother was murdered, they were like, yeah, so what's up? And I'm like, (laughs) that's so awesome. You know? Like... How, how does somebody deal with the reaction of people without, I don't want to get angry about that, but it's like, that's just a normal human reaction.
3: Well, sure. I mean, the horror of 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 having to share with someone that, uh, that your mother was murdered, or like one of my clients, her three children and husband were killed in a plane crash. So, I mean, you know, when she tells that story, she gets the same reaction. Like people go, you know, and, you know. Um, I mean, I think, I think that, I don't know, I, I think, I guess everyone is different and how you deal with it is different. So the opposite end of that is often what some people get as well. So we get some people who get no reaction. There, there are some people who really have a lot of angst because, you know, they're, they're somewhere and they say, oh, my 19-year-old was, you know, was killed by a driver and someone, this is the reaction that they're met with. Oh, okay. So do you have any other children? And, and, and you know treat it as if it's nothing and so I think for everyone it's it's different um you know I I know that some people I work with who have rather dramatic stories that do elicit the big gasp of air I know that some of those people sometimes choose to respond with I know you know it's it's a very big story and uh and it and and okay to ask me about it. Some do, and some just withdraw. And some are not troubled by it. I, I think the thing about grief, I always say, is it's like a fingerprint. You recognize it as a fingerprint, but if you look closely enough, you get there are nuances that are so different. And so while that while that may upset and anger you righteously, it may not have the same effect on someone else. And so I think finding our, our own sort of way to talk about the things that we need from others in our grief, which is really hard, because then then sort of the onus of responsibility is on the vulnerable person to tell someone else what we need when, in fact, uh, you know, we would hope that we live in a society that's compassionate enough that we don't have to ask for what we need, that people just intuit it and, and kind of know unfortunately we we don't we don't live in that kind of world right now not yet it sounds like
4: until you've been through something like that catastrophic uh sudden loss trauma loss that you can't you you just can't. Um, I think I can see how like earlier when Delisha told me this today, the first thing out of my mouth was "Oh, you poor thing," and Delisha's like, "I hate that," you know. She told me <laughs> she's like, "Oh," and she told me the story about how great it was to be in a room full of people, and I could totally understand how it would be. You'd feel less alone to be uh, surrounded by people that have had such things happen to them, because then you don't have to worry about. They're taking care of their feelings when you're that's exactly, you know yeah yeah, yeah. That's exactly it.
7: what then <clears throat> excuse me what then um as someone who has knock on what I, I have yet to experience you know true as you're saying defining it catastrophic loss what then is a good response if someone is to tell me that someone in their family was being murdered and they don't happen to say it was thirty years ago for yeah. me to you know there's if they're if that's fresh to them for me to go oh, okay and I, I understand and not give enough of a response how what is? What feels good to you for us to do?
6: Are you asking me, or are you asking? No, me whoever, whomever. <laughs>
7: I, yeah, I be, yeah,
1: because I say I'm sorry when someone well, says they lost somebody. I say I I'm think, sorry. I think
6: I'm sorry is fine. Mm-hmm. It's not the I'm sorry that bothers me. It's the or you're. It's not even the oh, you poor thing that bothers me. It's the. <gasps> first reaction that bothers right. me. It's but, like, right. you Isn't, but could that, just not have that, oh my God, what you're telling me is really going to affect my psyche and I'm going to have nightmares about it later. Like, then I don't well, want to talk about it. I you think know, that it shuts such, me down.
7: Excuse me. I think that's such an important thing to know because that's just not your natural reaction to that phrase. Someone, mm-hmm. especially someone like my mother, was murdered. You can't help but take that in at, at a whole crap thing. Right. So, I mean, so... Uh, well,
0: what no, do you
4: think well, this I mean, is the best way...
0: I mean, literally, I mean, uh, I mean, the only person that I, uh, I i don't even know this person that was murdered and I'm not name dropping, but I was doing um, I was doing a show with Dave Navarro and he took off his shirt, which no one minded. Mm-hmm. And he had all these tattoos on him mm-hmm. and he had one. And I'm like, and he was telling me and he said, well, this is my mother's name. She was murdered. Wow. Now, you're at a photo shoot and it's surreal that you're talking to Dave Navarro yeah. I don't know it was surreal to me <laughs> yeah. and he's explaining this to me and I tr- i couldn't I mean I'm sorry came yeah. first and then I, it was like dead silence because I did not know where to mm. go from there mm-hmm. it was like Okay, and then, look, I think I said something about work, and we had to do something work-wise. Because it was an uncomfortable position to me, because I didn't want to say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. and sound
6: stupid. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's very awkward, and and I think that, like, if we were to have a conversation, I have zero problem telling people exactly what happened or what I know of what happened. (laughs) But it was one of the, if not the, still to date, most violent crimes that or County has ever had. So I tell people, are you sure you want to hear about mm. this? Like, for me, it's no problem talking about it. It's more of a problem for the people that are hearing well, it. Well,
0: because I think it's uncomfortable. And do you agree, Joanne? I mean, it, maybe you don't. I mean, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah. but I mean, if, if someone says that, it's like, what's the natural step to say? Because obviously... I do have a curiosity. I, I do. I would like to know, but that's just who I am. Cause I watch SUV and I am addicted, but it's like, what, how do you, what would be the next position? What would be the next thing after you say, I'm sorry?
3: Are you asking me? I am. I am. <laughs> I, think, I think everyone is different. You know, when I hear, when someone shares with me, their catastrophic loss Um, my, sometimes my, I mean, it's just, it's different for every single person because it's, because I'm not a, because I'm not a robot, right? Well, I will
0: be and copy you. So please tell us what to say.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes my natural inclination is to put my hands on my heart and just go, Oh, you know, just, Oh, you know, and just,
1: you know, I I mean, there's something
3: about this movement that just, You know, I'm thinking about people, a client I had today and a couple of clients yesterday and, you know, just holding my hand on my heart and just when they say something profound and they share something deep and and entrust me with the most important person in their lives, this is a sacred honor, you know, and the loss of that person and the pain and grief that they feel, which is congruent with the love, Um, you know, it feels like, you know, just my hands and my heart feels I, 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 it feels like it says more than words to me yes.
5: um, yeah absolutely yeah. So, that's a good one that's a really that's a really one. good Thank
6: one you. yeah yeah so I, I would definitely yeah. appreciate it more if people went mm-hmm then yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean the, the reality is that the for people who agree. To care about people who are grieving, right? And I think what I think the pushback that you feel when people go, <gasps> when you tell them about your mom is because they're making it about them. Yeah,
6: exactly. exactly. What do you and, mean? And I'm uh, a huge me, what, what, empath, so that, but I me also, big time.
2: I disagree because yes. w- if I were to do that to somebody and go, oh, I would be how. How did you live through that? Right. That would mm. be what I would be thinking when I gave that reaction. When you that went, reaction, <gasps> gave that okay. gas. Yes. I, I totally like, agree. Oh, my I totally God. I can't imagine d- going through that. You know. Right.
3: And in some ways that's validating. And in other ways it still makes it about the other person person Mm -hmm. because because you're looking at it like so so this some grieving people and this is not true for all but some grieving people really do not like it when people say oh my goodness you're so strong
6: oh
0: Hmm. I hate that "Mm." I hate that
3: I I, I'm one of
0: those people boy you're so strong I'm like Fuck yeah, you. I'm not strong. I am dying inside. I just need right. to get through my goddamn life right now.
1: Right. It's like one day at a time. It's like this week has been one of the most challenging weeks for me, and I can't remember how long. And I just say, God's testing to see how strong my legs are today. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. that's nice. And nice. that's how I, I get, get through things. I just got done teaching my MAD class, Mothers Against Drunk Driving class, last night. And one of the last videos that we... A show is um, a man who lost his wife and his two little kids oh. to a drunk driver. The two little kids were ejected out of the vehicle, oh. and they died um, when they they were pronounced dead at the hospital. The wife was dead on mm-hmm. site. See, How do see, you go on from that? You know, my and reaction just, is listening to you, going, "I'm going, oh my god, oh right. my god." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> you know, so it just you know, it's like it's like what Gayanne said. I'm not strong. God's testing the strength of my legs today.
7: Okay, I, this sounds especially coming from a comedian that I'm being funny, <laughs> but I don't mean. How would you react then to? Because honestly, from hearing all this, it's very it's it's depends on the person. It exactly. depends, on yeah. Whether That's you exactly. know, thirty uh, years ago, your exactly. reaction would have been different than it is now. So what what would you feel like if someone were to say something, and we were to, just, of course, I'm sorry, with a gesture, and, and just say, I don't know what to say. Is that is that something that feels like we're just sort of checking out and like hey, sorry, later bye. I don't want to hear your problem. <laughs> <laughs> or is I'm, it I mean, to it, me
6: personally? Yeah, it feels like that. And if you say okay. I don't know what to say, versus just saying I'm sorry, yeah. or my mm-hmm. heart goes out to you, or something yeah. simple like that. Okay.
0: You know? mm-hmm. So Joanne, I mean, obviously, you know Elizabeth Kubler Ross, as we know, most of us know who she is. She had wrote a book a long time ago. Diana's sister. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Diana Ross's <laughs> sister, yeah. Um, you know, uh, the f- she had five stages of grief. Um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Years later, because that was written a long time ago. Do you think this still these stages are still valid that people go through?
3: Okay, so I should probably disclose my conflict of interest. Elizabeth <laughs> was like a mother to me. Okay. Ah. So okay.
5: I love you know know that story by the way. That's so beautiful. This I'm
3: just gonna tell you. went I, I,
0: obviously in school and college when I was going through my sociology and psychology courses, this was this was one of the books that we had read. I have always referred to this these five stages Anytime time when I've gone through any type of loss. And I found it to be very applicable. I tend to stay in the anger a little longer. Um, as I get older, the anger starts to, you know, uh, diminish. But, um, wow. Wow, you knew well, her?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke at her funeral. Yeah, her son. Holy shit, this son. is awesome. I didn't even know that. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. It's in the book, though. Tell if a you read story. The video, you'll find out. So, Do you so always have that reaction yeah. to
7: funerals, Game. Oh, so, shut up.
3: So, and, I think, and I think this is an important part. Uh, they're not actually the stages of grief. They're the stages of dying.
0: <clears throat> okay. Ah. Hmm.
3: So when Elizabeth wrote the book on dying, her primary work was with people who were facing their own death.
4: Mm-hmm. I didn't okay? know that. I didn't and know
3: so that. The, so the, de- so the dabdom model, denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance, um, the depression acceptance. The DABDA model was really for people who were dying and she did not mean it as a an inflexible stair-stepped model. It was sort of hijacked and became something that she didn't intend. She said what most people experience that she sees when they're facing their own death are these things. And it somehow became like this gospel, you have to have Anger before you can have acceptance, and that's not the case. And she didn't intend for it. That used to drive her crazy. By the way, that was a real uh, that was a real problem for her at the end of her life. She was a little crunchy about that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think uh, I think it has a lot of utility as long as we're willing to be flexible. Yeah, a lot of people, and even in grief, a lot of people. Some of the first things that people say particularly when it's catastrophic is, how could this be? How did this happen? Mm. What the fuck just happened? Mm. I mean, I have parents I work with. I have a client I work with who comes from out of state to work with me about every three weeks. And, you know, every time she's here, she sits down and she says, what the fuck just happened? I don't understand how this just happened. So in a sense you could call that denial or self-protection or, I like the term emotional anesthesia, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. we're just sort of anesthetized reality things because it doesn't hit us all at once. It, it hits God. us yeah. incrementally, yeah. little by little.
6: And I mean, so, for me, it's been 19 years and I still say, what the fuck just happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, right. that's and, right. And
1: for me, you know, I'm going to let you all know on, on this platform, um, I can now, um, I'm now in the Me Too movement. And, um, I just think, what the fuck just happened? And I can't believe it happened. And I think I went into like denial and shock. And then after that, it's just it's just sadness. Like it's just uncontrollable crying. And I, I can't con- stop it. It's like I'm driving and then I just cry and then I'm normal and then I cry and then I'm normal. I canceled all my plans this weekend. The only thing I'm doing is this tonight. And it's not over. I have to continue with meetings next week about it so how do you
0: get through something like this when you have grief or loss I mean what do you tell your clients what's the first step to it's not forgetting but it's not even healing I guess it's just moving I don't even know what to call what that next step is when you suffer loss to start to move on a path
3: yeah. Well, I'm glad you actually corrected the, the word healing, because I think sometimes some losses that we experience are irreparable and the word to the word healing etymologically comes from a word that means to be made whole. And I, there are some losses we have from which we are ever whole again. Right. Right. And, and so I, I, I really rarely use heal because of the connotation of, um, and, and sort of the origin. One of the, one of the things that I do, people, people will often come to me and they say, you know, you're like the expert. Like I have people who come from Cambodia and New Zealand and Argentina and all over the world to work with me. And, and my thing to them is like, I don't do anything magical. I don't have fairy dust and I don't have people feel good or feel better. I help them feel.
6: Mm. Yes. Right.
1: And I think that's what we have to do. I think we have to feel it instead of just, mm-hmm. like you said, you dealt with it a year later. It just, and, and that's just what I'm allowing. One of my friends just said, feel mm-hmm. and just stay in and cry and just do whatever you need to do to feel it. You know, I had a therapist tell me once, if you saw a baby crying, what would you do? Would you walk past it? Would you tell her to shut up? Would you just ignore it? No, you would hold it. You would, you would comfort it. You, you would do everything that you can to make sure the baby stopped crying. Well we are that baby, so why are we ignoring ourselves? Why are we treating ourselves because, badly?
4: Because if I may, um, sometimes the pain is so scary um, to face. That, like, I've even heard people, c- there have been stories, and I don't know if they're true or not, With about a broken heart syndrome. You guys heard this? They're where true. It, where your your heart breaks and you die from mm-hmm. it because it's that overwhelming and, and, and insanely hard to even picture. I mean, so I think the fear of feeling is probably it's got to be so much better to have a support system so you don't feel like you have to feel it alone. I don't know if you but have that's a support what I, system. But that's
0: what I was going to say, Joanne. I mean, a mm. lot of us, you know, we're all, you know, strong women, you know, and when a loss happens, catastrophic or, and, and that's another thing. I mean, catas- I mean, there's obviously when you describe an accident or describe something, some of it is obviously catastrophic. But if it really, for me, depends on what's subjective to the person. Because what could be catastrophic for me, if it doesn't look like a ca- ca- right. catastrophic thing, could affect me just as much as something that was an extreme catastrophe. Mm-hmm. That was but a tongue that, twister right that, now. You know what it is? It's
2: the feeling, the loss, that you actually don't think you're going to live through it. Yeah, that's you scary as well. actually don't think your body can take it, mm-hmm. your mind can take it. You're just going to break and you'll never and come back
4: together and some people do and but so i like to know but some joanne... of it
0: isn't only just with death i mean there have been
4: relationships yeah. mm-hmm. that have debilitated me mm-hmm. i know but this is a, this i mean but grief, catastrophic death is different but death, still but
0: but joanne are we talking about just death or is are we just talking about grief in general i mean the the the, the emotion of and of itself mm.
3: Well, all the work that I do is around traumatic grief because of catastrophic death. Yeah, uh, and not not that there isn't grief that's associated with and sometimes traumatic. With other losses, the the problem when the person you love most in the world dies is it's irreparable and it's forever and there's no there's no remediation there's nothing there's no there's no redemption there's no, nothing you can do to turn back time it's done and it is irreversible and that adds a different quality to it and I think um, you know while I think certainly I've had I've had grief associated with other losses relationship and things like that. You know, uh, the death of my child uh, is a whole other, you know, different category where I didn't want to live anymore, and mm-hmm. nothing else has questioned my will to live. Um, so, it, it, it for me at least, it was a very—it's it, qualitatively a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Just sort of generic grief from losses, which are hard and which we should grieve and feel and experience. Absolutely, I don't mean to diminish that. Right. But the loss of your child, or your partner, or your parent, or your sibling, you know, to uh, to death uh, it, it, it's the it's a relationship that you can never get back in this moment, in this way, ever again. And there's something about that irreversibility that caught that incites a sense of of uh, a, almost uh, desperate panicness. Uh, To get that person back, it's hard. It's inexplicable, really.
4: How did you? I'm sorry, I didn't read the book yet. I'm planning on reading it after this. I'm not just saying that. I really want to read it, but I would like to know. Was there a moment? Since I haven't read it, I you know I feel stupid. I don't know, but was there a moment? And when did that moment come up, where you felt like you could, you wanted to live again?
3: I wouldn't say it was a moment as much as it was a series of moments. Mm. Uh, I, I think I did the work. I went right into the hottest part of the fire. You know, there's a quote by a, a Thai forest monk by the name of Sant Kshavadas. And, uh, you know, People seek transformative experience all the time, right? They they go to ayahuasca retreats, you know, they're using hallucinogenics. Uh, they mm-hmm. yeah, they come to Sedona <laughs> and they wanna see God and experience God awesome. and they wanna have the transformative experience. And so some Keshavitas issued sort of a harbinger to people who were looking for that spiritual, sort of numinous transformative experience, and he said. Um, go ahead, ring your bell, light your incense, burn your candles and call out to God, but look out because God will come and he will put you on his anvil and fire up his forge and beat you and beat you until he turns brass into pure gold.
6: Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, that's
3: and heavy. The,
5: Very heavy. Wow.
3: And wow. And, the, and the, and the reality of that is we have got to feel it. We, we can't bypass it, we can't drug it away, we can't drink away, we can't pour it away, we can't eat it, we can't shop it away, we can't blow it away, we can't exercise or yoga or dog it away. We have to mm-hmm. be able to feel it and go right through the center of the fire or that bypass will cost us in the end and we will not become who we are supposed to become.
6: But can I say that in order to feel it, sometimes we have to go through those ayahuasca through the... I'm actually going to Sedona next week and seeing my my breathwork lady, who I love so much. You know that's where I live, right? I don't, but, like, my breathwork lady is incredible, and I'm so excited. I'm bringing somebody else there to help him on his healing journey. So I'm really excited about going, but at the same time, like, I want to ask you about, like, guilt around... So, like, my brother past um he had pml which he got from aids and and it was me that he said to me i'm ready let's do this and it was me that had to tell them okay let's up his medication let's start giving him the morphine every hour and i feel like i had a hand in killing my brother mm. You know, because he was dead within a day, and mm-hmm. it's like, how do you deal with that? It's not necessarily catastrophic, but traumatic. It's as a hell. little but it is traumatic because I mean, yeah. even I with my is. dad, I mean, even with
0: my dad, I mean, they came in and, and they wanted to make an appointment to pull the plug, mm-hmm. and I'm like, uh, wow, yeah, and I said. um okay and i went I, and my mother didn't want to pull the plug and i had to deal with her and i finally convinced her we had to do it because his body was just deteriorating in front of us and i i'm it's
4: the uh, most compassionate thing you both did it, well we mm-hmm. didn't
0: do it because this was the weirdest thing and like the day before we set the time to pull the plug i made believe i it was from new jersey so it was freaking cold i made believe i left something in the in the hotel in the hospital room And I went back up, and my father was in a coma, hooked up to all machines, and I said to him, Dad, um, I don't really want to do this. I I just don't. Um, And I don't want Mom to this be the last thing, you know, um, that gets done. And um, it was just really hard to make that decision to do life or death. And I said, "Um, if possible, I mean, I don't know if you even hear me it would be really cool if it's your time can you, to just pass, like just die, you know? And I was nice. actually much more compassionate about it, but it was like, please don't, because I know I couldn't live with that, mm. you know what I mean? And it was really hard. And I just felt this, I don't know, it was just this, this really calmness at that point. And when I went out to the nurse's station, I said, my father's gonna die tonight. Um, don't call my mother's phone. Call mine. Mm-hmm. And it's seven forty-five. He passed. Oh
4: my goodness!
0: And I said thank you, universe, mm-hmm. God, whatever, mm-hmm. because that's something, Joanne, that I don't think I could have truly lived with. It's
6: hard hard. It eats at me every day. Yeah, but you, you did know?
4: the right... I'm sorry, but you did the right That's thing. That's what everybody I have, tells me, but I mean, it doesn't I've, make it I easier know.
6: inside knowing that I had a hand no, in I know. killing him but He sooner. wanted you to had do you, that. Yeah. He he had you had a hand in him saving that? him. Seriously. Had, had you ever
7: discussed that with him and said, you know, because... I, no, I,
6: no, no, not really, but I mean, he had PML. He wasn't getting better. You know, he had <laughs> an open wound on his brain that wasn't closing, so right. I mean, he's not going to get better, and it was like... But
7: I mean, like, earlier in your life, have you ever... I mean. I've always said I do not want to be hooked yeah, up to anything. Uh, my I, mom has a I,
6: DNR that she made
4: me sign and put me in charge of.
6: I actually didn't meet him until I was eighteen or mm. seventeen or something. Okay.
0: So. so Joanne, I mean,
6: yeah, what do you these, do with that?
0: Yeah, what, when these, when you have your clients come to you, um, is it you? Do they mostly come sort of at the beginning of the loss, like the loss just happened, and then they come to you, or? Is it that they've been trying to feel on their own, and they just can't, and therefore they reach out to you to sort of facilitate them feeling?
3: Uh, all of the above.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So they come to me at all at all various points in their grief, from from it happened today literally to it happened 50 years ago Mm -hmm. but i mean when i'm dealing with someone who experiences the sensation uh of guilt the emotion of guilt and even shame i i need to try to eradicate or um provide solace around that what i want to do and, and the practice that i have is to take them right into the center of it and explore it let's talk about what it feels like to feel this guilt, to feel this sense of responsibility, to feel the regret. Um, And and I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of people's, I'm not afraid of people who lose their will to live. I'm not afraid of people who have guilt and shame. I'm not afraid of horrible stories. I don't, I'm not afraid of people's suffering. And so I take them right into the middle. And, And honestly, you know, I work with a bereaved mom who accidentally, she was moved didn't realize her baby had and she was holding the television and it got out of her hands and she dropped it to her baby oh my god look oh oh. nope, we and all just did people said yeah. to we her, all just did and, well that's bad but, it, but this is important people said to her you shouldn't feel guilty it was an accident but the reality is you do she felt guilty and mm-hmm. and all that they did by telling her that was shame her yes oh, absolutely tell her, don't talk about the guilt you feel right right i mean right. the reality is that that we as human beings when we love someone we 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 recapitulate the events leading to their demise and that's a normal thing and sometimes that means it comes with feelings of guilt maybe this, and maybe i should have done this and it's okay to feel even necessary but we have to have a safe person in whom we can in whom we can trust those kinds of deep emotional uh, revelations with and the reality is that when people who are grieving end up isolating themselves or end up looking like what they would call pathological grief they socially withdraw they lose interest in things that they had an interest in before the grief looks you know uh, extreme or you know uh, or, or particularly exaggerated given the co- the context when i ask those kinds of people how is your social support and how much compassion do you feel from others most of them say i have very limited social support and very little compassion which exacerbates their sense of loneliness and the grief and so when the victims Because we live in a culture that I call it the happiness cult. Yes. We live in a culture that seeks happiness all the time. And all we want is to have fun. And this hedonistic happiness chasing that we do, we only want to be around people who make us feel good. And that's what we seek all the time. Most of that shit is a house of cards. Yeah. Most of that is just, most of the shit you see on Facebook, it's all fucking fake. It isn't real. Mm-hmm. People aren't happy like that all the time, but we hide how we really feel because we get those intimations from our culture. Correct. And and so my big thing is just let people be with what it. I'm a really fucking happy and really, and I cry every day. Probably okay. If not every day, at least every other day.
4: But you still, you said it was a series of moments that that was it in helping others through this that you felt the your purpose or you felt like uh, you wanted to live. Is that was it your children? No, I don't.
3: No, not really. I didn't start the foundation for a few years. I mm-hmm. really needed space to be with my grief. I really mm-hmm. didn't want to prematurely detach from my grief by trying to help others when I was just a yeah. hot mess myself. Yeah, exactly. Right. So. Um, so I think, um, you know, just those series of moments. I started doing anonymous for people, and uh, you know, like like buying shoes for an underprivileged kid in a shoe store anonymously. Mm-hmm. And and when I was doing that, I would hold my dead child's memory in my heart and say to her in my heart, "I'm doing this because I love you, and I want to bring that love to the world." Mm. And, um, that's called uh, being called the kindness project. It's mm-hmm. this big thing now that we do. Um, and through my, you know, Ahimsa practice through my practice of compassion for all, I mean, I haven't, I'm a vegan and I haven't eaten meat since 1972. I'm, I'm 54 years old tomorrow.
4: Really? Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday.
3: Thank you. And, and so for 47 years, I have not eaten animals and I, and I try, and I, and I try to um, let that be part of my practice. And that really helped me in my grief connecting to animals mm-hmm. and to vulnerable beings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I tried to stay with my emotions. I cried a lot. I called myself a professional crier. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> cried a lot. And, and I'm and I wasn't ashamed of my crying. I would cry and I wouldn't apologize for it. I'm like, I remember going through a couple to a couple of therapists and i would start crying and they would hand me kleenex and i would say i don't need these i'm not cleaning it up i don't want to clean it up my child is worth every tear i shed Aww. for her Aww. and 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 i and i just felt what i felt i guess that's the only thing And that and that over time i started building the emotional muscle it wasn't like the grief the weight of the grief diminished it was that i got stronger because practice.
0: Uh oh. Uh -oh. Ooh. Did we lose her? Did we lose her, Tony? Uh oh. Okay.
3: Here you are. Sorry. There you
0: You are. You got
7: stronger. You got stronger because you practiced.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I got. I got. I got stronger because I practiced carrying the weight of my grief. It's not that the grief got lighter. It's that I. (laughs) became stronger. I built my muscle by carrying,
0: but don't you think Joanne, I mean, as we talked about fake book and people in this whole love, peace and happiness movement going on. Um, it's that, you know, it really doesn't, it's not a conducive atmosphere for anyone going through any sort of grief to express their emotions freely. It's like everyone expects Mm -hmm. everyone to wear this mask. So, so how so? You know, when we grieve, I mean, I know. I always used to say for years, I don't cry. I don't cry. Well, of course, I fucking cry in the privacy of my room in my house with my cat. I mean, you know, that was that's my that's my little crying time. But it was it's like this shame that you're saying to actually go out in public, and see something that jogs something, and you have to ref- and you tend to have to refrain because you're afraid of what people will say. And there's not like you know there's no compa there really isn't any compassion with people anymore
2: there's a time limit on there's a time limit on your grief, and they just don't want to hear about it after a certain point in time, mm-hmm. but you still feel it and then there's no one to talk to
0: because I mean people <laughs> express it you know because it's like it is it's an emotion that it's two, three, four years there's there's no time limit to when you can. It's not even move on there's no time limit, and everyone is different, but I don't think everyone is really different. I think we all feel it, and I think it, it it's a it's a it's a long amount of time, but I think it's the way society sort of imposes on us in our daily life of how to deal with it and how to keep it hidden um you know it's like do you think i mean sometimes I think that the emotion for me was with losses in my life and not catastrophic but losses is that you don't want to let that person go of course not you don't the, the memory i mean like i was in a panic thinking oh my god i don't have my father's voice on tape i'll never hear his voice again um, mm-hmm. I'll never you know and and for, and I still and I don't care what anybody says if I'm crazy but fuck you I don't care um, there is some of his I have his clothing I still have his after I have pieces of him in my home mm-hmm. that I just it, it just makes it just it's not like a shrine cuz i don't have like you know his aftershave and shit on a cabinet but it's sort of like it's kind of like by having his stuff the last things he touched mm-hmm. or the last clothes he wore i still have him to some degree with me even though spiritually i i'm very spiritual as well and i know he's one of my guardian angels he's with me all the time so i i feel that but it is just really difficult to sort of in my head was always, I'm never gonna see you anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm never gonna hear you anymore. I'm never gonna get a hug from you anymore. And that was probably the hardest thing still now for me to deal with. And and, and the thing is, and now I'm taking care of my mom. Um, she lives with me now. So now it's the anticipation of she's 87, she's gonna die mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. And I had these thoughts when I was a little kid sitting up in bed with these freaking nightmares that i would be alone in the world because my parents would be dead i would think about this when i was seven eight years old and now obviously it's up the point where it's now coming to fruition and just even though my mother and i don't get along really well but it's that fear of oh my god i'm gonna have to go through this death again and um and I, 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 I panic. I, I'm, I'm panicked. I, I am so panicked. Me too. That I know it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how I'm going to deal with it because then I won't have any of my parents here. It just freaked me out. It freaks me out, Joanne.
7: Can, can I ask how you think your response to your father's passing would have been had your mother been the strong rock? If she hadn't had to check out for a year and take care of her and take care of business, how do you feel that that your grief response would have been? And as far as the other, don't you think we have a tendency to make our worries be these huge fear things that never completely, if you're you actually usually even come close to the fear that we had, it's gonna feel that way. And, and if you were able to go, okay, mom's flipping out, I gotta do this, don't you think then that you will be able to find that inner strength or inner, inner source?
0: I'll get through it. I'm strong. I mean, I mean, I am. I actually. I'll know. I'm a Capricorn. For right. Christ's sake, I'll get through this. I did it once, and I can do this. But for me, oh, I might as well tell everybody. I have a. Ab- I have um, abandonment issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another word that I, I'm purposely not remembering, but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's sort of you know that really would hit hits home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know that 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 alone that. Not alone in the world, because that's like, oh, my God, you know how pathetic you are. But it brings up those, I guess, deep-seated issues of me, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, and, and everyone always tells me, Joanne, because my mother and I fight like cats and dogs. Trust me, any of my friends who have been on the phone, I don't mute. They hear the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I'm, And they're like, you know, you should be nicer to your mother you know, she's not going to be here one day and you're going to regret this. And I'm like, I'm going to regret not speaking my mind when she's being a pain in the ass. (laughs) 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 Then, you know, then, you know, whatever. And and they make fun of, and and people make fun of me because we fight like cats and dogs. And then like two seconds later, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay. But that's a mother-daughter relationship. But the point is, is I think loss for me ties into that other psychological Mm -hmm. issue well
2: joanne do you find that that's the case that once a, a catastrophic death happens um all of those things inside of you are coming up
3: oh sure i mean when people come and sit on my purple couch and start telling me about uh their partner or parent or sibling or child who died Because, as Catherine Porter said, the past is never. We think we left it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their childhood traumas, their childhood losses, their view of the world, their sense of uh, self—all it it all presents in there. Quite, you, you can. Yes, of course. Who you are before the loss, characterologically and experientially, certainly influences how we come to loss. No doubt about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's gonna. It's going to act, reactivate all the triggers that you have in your life. And it's just now we have to go through this situation and then relive all the triggers that have caused the same similar feelings. And and it just there's just so much to work with.
4: And it's interesting that even though you've lost one parent, like I would feel like, okay, I got through this one. So I know I'm going to be okay with through this one. That's that's spoken like a person who hasn't lost a parent yet. Mm -hmm. But yet it's like, I don't know, it's. um, I don't remember what I was going to say. It's just, it's just, oh, I remember. It's just, no matter how many times you lose someone, it's unique, with whether it's, you know, no matter what cat, my cat, you know, my best friend I lost. Um, So I guess it doesn't get easier at all. When you lose someone, I guess maybe you just know that you can get through it because you got through that one, maybe. Well,
6: I mean, for me personally, Mm -hmm. every death since my mother, and there have been several, has been <laughs> no problem for yeah. me, mm-hmm. like, no problem. Uh-huh. If I could get through my mother being murdered, I can yeah, get through that's... anything, like, and death is just a normal cycle of life, mm-hmm. and I've I've learned to have a different perspective on it, and I've also learned to grieve in a different way. Like, for example, I don't mourn the, the day my mother was murdered. April sixteenth, two 2001, I celebrate her last day of life. So every tax day, I take <laughs> off yeah. and I go do something that my mom would have loved to do. One day, I just went to the boardwalk in Santa Cruz and played some game that she liked. And just little mm-hmm. things like that that mm-hmm. I, I mourn in a different way than a lot of people do. Yes, and, you mm-hmm. do. Yeah,
0: you are. I, I commend you for that. That's really That's kind an of awesome, awesome, idea, awesome idea, actually. I, yeah. 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 So, Joanne, when someone presents themselves to you, for whatever, how do you how do you start the session? How do you sort of begin to crack that egg? How do you guide them through this? Some of your tips and tricks.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, honestly, everyone is different. I don't have a. I am the anti protocol person. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that I do the same every time. Um, to me, counseling should be like an art. It's. It should be um, reflexive. It should be intuitive. Uh, it should always be, of course, compassionate and should always contain the most important aspect of any good therapy or counseling, which is love.
5: Mm. And acceptance comes into it, doesn't it?
3: Um, acceptance of... Just
5: general the other. acceptance of, uh, uh, as we were talking about earlier, of just sitting in the grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not absolutely. Running from
3: acceptance, it. no doubt about it. I, I tell people all the time you don't have to accept that your child is dead, but it's important for you to accept how you feel about your child having died. Mm. Because then we start to get in an acrimonious relationship with our own emotions when we can't accept what our emotions are. Mm. We are a very emotionally unintelligent culture. mm -hmm. The whole, the whole set of mental health and our hyper-focus on mental health while completely ignoring emotional health is, is really a sticker for me.
6: Well, and I think that that, the feeling something is really an important thing. And that basically was what this whole trauma workshop was about that I did was actually feeling Uh, your feelings and feeling your body and knowing that you're in your space and just being present Um, and I think it's really difficult to do that sometimes when you've had such traumatic experiences sometimes you just can't get yourself to that point of feeling and one of the things that I learned about um, through this workshop was somatic therapy which I had never heard of before to help some of the trauma and the stuck stuff in you is that something that you do with people as well uh yeah well I don't have a particular I'm not
3: a tech person. so uh people come here and they tell me what they want from me and what how they want to interact with me and sometimes people want to stay in the four walls and some people want to go stand with my horse mm-hmm. who by the way is a better therapist than most therapists <laughs> I mm-hmm. do not. Animals so, are
4: the best therapy. Oh yeah. Horses
3: mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah.
4: Yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm.
3: so we, uh, sometimes go on hikes together. Sometimes we're out doing farm work and lifting heavy lifting, which is in a sense, somatic re-experiencing, uh, is very much about getting back in the body. You know, I tell people, how much do you sweat in a week? <laughs> sweat, body sweats, trauma, character of trauma, back out of your body, You get some body because to be in it during the trauma so get back in your body when you feel safe and and the one thing that that i know about my work is that people when they come here they feel safe yeah. uh, there's something about the space that we've created here on the farm i don't have to coddle people there or to weep or scream or lay on the floor and sob it happens it comes out i don't there's no it comes out when it needs to come out. I trust the process and I trust my, my patience.
7: Is that, do you feel, um, uh, kind of like getting in touch with those feelings, kind of ultimately the only way one gets past this. Cause for a lot of people out there, not myself, but I'm just saying playing devil's advocate, there's going to be a lot of people hearing what we're saying getting in touch with the feelings and get done and all this. And they're going to be like, that's airy, fairy stuff. I can't do that. That's not me. I am, you know, they just have never been that. Some picture some blue-collar worker that's just tough, and and how do you help them? How do you, when you see someone like that, do you try to get through them and go, hey, if you get in touch with that area-fairy side of you, you're going to feel better? <laughs> or do you just say, hey, you know, do you have a, an angle that you approach people whose level of comfort with the kinds of therapies and the kinds of healing or ways of feeling better that you do? That makes
3: sense. Yeah. So uh, we don't we just don't have an issue with that. I mean, we have one of our clients is a hardcore Vietnam vet, you know, bearded, tatted dude, you know, who lost his son. Um, and, you know, he comes here and he sobs like mm. quite well, easily. Yeah, but I just mean, like the people, sob.
7: the people that don't want to go to you, like, how do we reach them? How do well, we help I, them? I, if we the see someone struggling... Listen.
3: I, everybody's, I don't, I have no agenda to force people to confront their grief. If, if they're satisfied with their lives as they are, the contraction, the withdrawal, you know, the sort of abbreviated version of who they are in the world, that's, that's their choice. I, I don't have a need to, I have no
6: agenda. People find me when they're ready to do the work. And can, it could be, too, that they're just not ready yet mm-hmm. to do it. They're not there yet. And that's yet, exactly and what I mean. How, do, but
7: how do we help them then? We, if we you see someone them. struggling, well, you, you know, I help think, themselves. I, think, I, think,
6: I think, yes,
0: you have to help themselves. But, by like, for example, Joanne has a book. Joanne is going on interviews. We're going to take this. People are watching our podcast. You know, it, the word will get out there. But I think it's right. When someone's ready mm-hmm. to do it, they will find a way. And that's with anything. If you, you know, if you want to figure out how to basket weave and you're like, not ready, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe I want to fucking basket weave. Then you'll figure out how to fucking bat. You'll find like a course (laughs) in basket weaving. But I mean, the thing, Joanne, that I I have a question for is I think a lot of people suffer if like, if the death happens suddenly, it's like, oh God, I should have said, I should have done, I could have done. There's so much I have to say. Um, In, in, in the work that you, when, that when you work with people, how do you guide them through that, not, not the guilt, not feeling guilty of, I had a fight with my husband in the morning and now he's dead and I couldn't say I'm sorry. How does one get through that? How do you work with someone with that personal guilt? Yeah,
3: I help them feel it. Like I really, I just... Uh, apology letters. I let them cry through it, express it. I don't tell them don't feel guilty. I don't assuage their guilt or try to assuage their guilt. You know, I, I try to create space for whatever is with them. And, and, you know, there are people who um, are very, very terrified of feeling their feelings. Those are the people who are probably not going to come to me to do this, this work. Um, if the day comes when they're ready to stop living a small life, then they'll find a way to come and do the work, but no one can really do that for them. I can't do the work. If someone comes and I, if I give someone sort of homework, grief homework to do, and they come the next week and they say, oh, I didn't do it. I go, okay, no problem. Let's, let's, what do you want? Where do you want to start today? I don't have the need or." Actually, be, uh, you know, my goal is to make people compliant. It's not, it's not my pain. It's their pain. Right. So, you know, so, so I'm just, I help people stay with what is. I help them process it, experience their bodies in their minds, in their emotional selves, in their spiritual selves sometimes and in their interpersonal space. Uh, and I help them, you know, sometimes I help them kind of with practices and coping practices. Uh, but it seems to be it seems to be pretty good. we have some uh, preliminary data from the care farm intervention, which is our relatively recent intervention for 20 or five years actually. Farm intervention, three years old. and we've, we've been collecting pre- preliminary data and our initial studies are, really really uh exciting and hopeful in terms of the data we're really helping people quite a lot
4: by providing a safe space by just letting that person know that they can let everything go in your presence and they're going to be okay because you're not there's no judgment that's the biggest thing i would think you would provide to someone Mm -hmm. and the biggest gift because that's something they're not they can't find you know in people that are like their friends or whatever, it's what you're providing is a safety net to feel what they're dreading
6: to feel. It's not just a yeah. safe space, it's a safe, neutral space. Correct. That makes a big difference. Yeah. Now, um, you're, you're offering
5: them the something. kindness. I love your kindness project. Sounds so clever and wonderful mm-hmm. and so touching for everyone involved. Um, and I think it's also you're giving them an outlet with your your pets and your horse that you saved i love that story Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's beautiful and
3: and i think one of the important points here is this idea of a safe place is incredibly important because people who have trauma do not do not feel safe i mean the defining emotion underneath all trauma is fear. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Subjective, you mm-hmm. don't have trauma without fear, okay? Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about the emotion of fear. When people feel safe, they don't feel fearful. And so they come here and they, they're not fearful. They feel comfortable to share. And so they emotionally divulge, but then they also in very practical ways, for example, damn it. thing that they've always,
5: Oh, no. sedona,
3: not everyone
6: yeah. will understand this right oops I, did i drop off yeah, yeah you're back i get terrible wi-fi okay. in sedona
3: um so oh, you're not kidding <laughs> it's all it's all it's all the vortex energy yes yeah. i've is. been to
0: every single one of them
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, more. So, so where did i lose you
4: um you were saying that 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 they feel the safe the whole safety thing um, and fear, yeah, fear and trauma, yeah. mm-hmm.
3: right? So so they're so they're not fearful when they're here, and so they feel safe to divulge emotionally and explore emotionally. But they also feel safe to explore other things, like for example, and not everyone will want this or choose this. But I have some people who want to read the autopsy reports
6: of their loved mm-hmm. ones. I did. Mm.
3: Interesting, yep. and, and, I, and I, I read
6: every single line. It was very important to me to know yeah. that I would too, and it actually it actually helped me because my mother's uh, left ventricle and her heart was seventy five percent clogged, and my my chiropractor said to me do you, I know your mother and she was like a warrior type. Do you think she would have rather died saving your stepfather's life or dying of a heart attack on the kitchen floor? So reading her autopsy report really helped me deal with her grief. Mm. So
0: continue, yeah. Joanne, about yeah. the autopsy. Yeah.
6: We're yeah, just so, safe. so
3: sometimes they, sometimes they want to look at death scene photographs mm. and my job is not to discourage or dissuade them. My job is to create space So, that whatever they need to do for their experience, even if they're from it, dealing with it together. And I help them through it with them. I don't decision people, I help people what I think is best for them. Mm -hmm.
0: So, Joanne, I have a question for you. You are there to deal with everyone else. When you were going through your own grief and fear, did you do it as a family? Did you, how, where, who did you turn to?
3: Oh, uh, back then, in the early years, I didn't really have anyone to turn to. So I was really alone, which is why I started the nonprofit, right? Which is why I started my uh, NGO. Um, so, uh, you know, my, my animals have been a source of comfort for me. I, I had dogs back then. And I guess I would say my dogs were safe and my three-year-old daughter was safe. I had a three-year-old daughter at the time, and she was wiser actually than most adults in my life. In fact, <laughs> in fact, one time I was on the couch and I was I was weeping because I was grieving. It's probably two months after my uh, daughter died, my other daughter died, and um, my mother had come over to my house trying to be helpful. She knew I wasn't uh, functioning quite as normal. And she was very frustrated because I hadn't fed the children a proper breakfast yet. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was being sort of castigated for that. And um, I, when she left, I felt, you know, this, this um, shroud of shame come over me because I thought, (laughs) Oh my God, my my child is dead and I'm starving my other kids. (laughs) And, And And my three-year-old, so I'm crying now more, and my three-year-old got up on the couch and put her arm around me and she said, mommy, it's okay to cry and it's okay to be sad because babies aren't supposed to die.
6: Oh, Oh.
0: wow, wow. wow!
3: So so I would say my three-year-old and my animals were a source of comfort back then, but I didn't really have a lot of support. Thus, I started, you know, I started a, you know, our nonprofit group, for example, we have Hope Mentors. It's called Helping Other Parents Endure. And so we mm-hmm. connect grieving parents to other grieving parents who are in similar tragic circumstances. And uh, so if one parent lost her child to drowning and we have a new parent whose child drowned, we connect them to each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we try to find as much support as we can for people so they don't have to endure this, you know, hell alone.
0: that's that, Wow. So, how long has your not, your organization been in motion?
3: Almost twenty five years. That's awesome. I think you
0: said it before, but I think you cut out. Sorry.
3: Yeah, that's okay. Almost twenty five years. Yeah. And what's
0: your next? What's your next step? What's your next book? What's your next goal? What's your next hurdle? Like, uh,
3: <laughs> there's a lot of shit to clean up in the world, isn't there? <laughs> a lot. Yeah, um, I don't have the next book planned yet. Um, I have a course, a 10 course um, class online for grievers through uh, that's available through my publisher Wisdom Publication. So, um, you know, not everyone can afford to come out here to Sedona and work with me because, you know, hotels out here are expensive, etc. cetera. Uh, it's like 10, 10 or 15 bucks a course. And they can take a course that we guide through each sort of 10 classes is about grief, a lot of psychoeducation, a lot of experiential work. It's like counseling, but on the cheap. So it's great. Um, And then the care farm, we want to expand the care farm. I want to continue my research with the care farm and really expand. And I'd love to see care farms, rescue animals and care farms all over the United States and all over the world helping people because Mm. the last place I want to see a greeting person stuck is in a psychiatric hospital. Absolutely. I would much rather outdoors in nature with green trees and with, with, with a a dog licking her face Mm. or a horse brushing a horse, you know, taking care of their whole body and whole soul and whole mind and whole heart.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. You are an enigma. Is that a word? Enigma? Is that a? Good, Does that uh, mean it? mystery? Does that mean a good thing? Yeah. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Okay. If you
7: mean it is a good way.
0: I do. I, I mean, I don't know what the fuck that means, but I <laughs> think you're that. <laughs> it's better than an enema.
7: I really. Oh, my God. Depends on what you need.
4: <laughs> a I like,
0: kind of got it in the
4: right format. <laughs> well, in a way, she does get everyone to get stuff out of them. She purges them. Yeah. You, oh, you are you the go. great
0: purger. Uh-huh. You're an angel. So, I mean, you're in Sedona, all that spirituality stuff, which I believe in, even though I'm just, you know, casually brushing it. Have you done ayahuasca? Oh no, I'm already there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am that. Well, I did and all I did for 8 hours was sit in a ball and it was all about it was all about fear. It was literally all about fear mm-hmm. for 8 hours wow.
1: because wow. I had yeah. to
0: vomit mm-hmm. and I wouldn't yeah. vomit. It was the it, it just culminated in vomiting. And for eight hours, I struggled not to... Now I vomit at will. But at the time, (laughs) I did not. And I sat there. And it was very interesting because it was a progression of... And I've never done hallucinogenics. And that's the funny part is... I didn't just, I never did mushrooms. I, I went right from nothing to the grand finale of <laughs> yeah. shit, okay? And my mother paid for it. Mm-hmm. I said, Mom, I need $300. She said, why? I said, I want to go on this spiritual journey. <laughs> and she said, are you are going to do drugs? It's not drugs, Mom. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really a spiritual thing. And she she said, fine, because I wanted it for my birthday. And she did. And it was, I, I, I think I've told a story, I don't know on what how many times over the air and what incarnation of this podcast. But it was really interesting that when I finally decided to surrender, because that word kept coming up in my head, it was fear versus surrender, fear versus surrender. And that was the struggle for those hours. When I finally said, fuck it, I'm going to vomit. I will surrender. It was the weirdest shit. It was like a fire pit was right here and I felt this fire feeling like it was singeing my esophagus just coming up and then I finally threw up I felt so much better but I was one you know I thought maybe it was like psychosomatic that feeling of heat and fire absolutely not I was completely drenched Mm -hmm. and it and that really changed my life um um in that I'm still fearful of things. It's not like it's a miracle that happened, you know. I, you know, someone put hands on healing. Mm. It just was. I now see fear differently, and I go now head on mm. into things without that skepticism. Mm. I still overthink, but I still do it, and I keep going back to that. That keeps me in check to go. There's nothing for you to fear. The, the fire w- puke made you stronger. No. The yes. fire puke made me stronger. But
1: I have a question. Why is it beneficial to do a drug? Um, why, why, why can't we just oh, oh. release this on our own? Why do why do you have to do a drug? Can I take
6: that one? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay, so I've done a, lo- a lot of work. I've had a lot of trauma, and I've done a lot of work, including some natural ways to get to the same point. So I did this thing called Toad, um, which is basically the venom, and I was able to go and, like, I went to some place that I would have never been able to get to without it, where I actually went to like the underworld and I was able to confront my uh, sexual abusers who have passed on and it was it was insane. My wow. brother was in there with me. It was an insane experience. He said at the end that he thought the cops were gonna come, that it sounded like a triple homicide in there, <laughs> my throat was sore, like I don't know what happened. But then I've also done breath work that gets you kinda to the same place, But I think however people need to do their trauma healing work is how they need to do it. Like, ayahuasca scares the living shit out of me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, like, I could do... Toad venom, but I'm not gonna do ayahuasca, which toad is actually a way, it's the strongest hallucinogenic on the planet. And Whoa. it's yeah, it's big time scary. But I was like ayahuasca scares the shit out of me. But I think that sometimes and, and like breath work scares the shit out of my brother because he he was like, Whoa, how does your body get to that without any drugs? Mm. You know? So I think it's just a matter of like how people need to heal their trauma is however they need to do it. And if it's natural drugs and, and and like the drugs that you do in the Amazon and you have a different relationship, it's not a drug. It's a healing modality, a tool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: What do you think, Joanne? Weigh in. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, we're an, uh, we don't
4: at all. You're
3: breaking up. Anything? We don't. What? Oh, yep. Yeah, just a minute. <laughs> my back. In Buffering. My back. Yep. You're, you're back. back. Buffering. So, kind of a community. A community do drugs, alcohol, or anything that changes consciousness here chemically, um, and that, that's I don't I don't imbibe in anything. I'm oppressed. So. Um, I don't judge people just do whatever you got to do right but the reality is most people when they come here have that experience without the drugs without the chemicals like they really do they have the experiences here I work with a young man whose brother died down by the river so we're on the river and I took him down by the river and I took him into a meditation and I didn't know what was going on for him he very very much missed his brother who died and I was just sitting there with him, holding space and meditation with him. And I heard him sobbing. And I mean, he was just drenched from the tears. And I just, you know, I don't interrupt. I go, well, I'm trusting the process. And when it was about 30 or 40 minutes out, the meditation ended. And he, he opened his eyes and he's like, surprised to be where he was. And he said, thank you thank you. I just hugged my brother. I saw him. Oh, oh, I talked to him. Oh. I hugged him. No drugs, no nothing. I mean, it, it's when you feel safe and you can open your heart and trust, um, you know, sometimes these things happen. So it, to each his own, what we do on the care farm is really, uh, is really, we're pretty earthy here. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we're pretty grounded. I'm, uh, I don't, Discount the veracity of some of the Sedona healers. It's just not my thing. Um, I I trust in the power of nature, the power of compassion, and the power of love to help people.
0: I love you, Joanne. Mm -hmm. We're coming down the Between the Sheets girl. They're going to rent one of those RV things, and we're going to go glamping. Oh, (laughs) that
3: would be that would be a hoot because my my you know you said this was girls night this is my girl here oh my gosh, let me no. see let me see her girl let me see oh your girl God, is her. this wait a minute is this the three-year-old that turned into a woman no no this is this is my good this is my good friend angela her last name is de benedetto oh she, another one of my people another one italiano yay <laughs>
0: Well, awesome. I want to thank you, Joanne, um, for joining us tonight and giving some insight. Um, where can people find you online? Um,
3: yeah, yeah. my name, dot SalahCareFarm.com is the Care Farm uh, URL, S-E-L-A-H, CareFarm.com. And then if you've you've lost a child, the Miss Foundation is a great resource, M-I-S-S-Foundation.org. Sella Care Farm is for anyone who has had a significant loss. And uh, my website, joanncatshoy.com, has lots of resources for grieving people.
0: You have been a pleasure, and you're hot. Just, just saying. <laughs> I, I think the lesbian consensus around the table is you're hot. You've got great tattoos. I get it. I want of, I want of you. Um, you. <laughs> and Thank the you. bearing, bearing the unbearable love loss and the heartbreaking path of grief. You can find that Amazon, right? Yes, no.
3: Amazon. Amazon.
0: That's not- And um, you're welcome to come back anytime. And if you come to LA, I would love to have you here, as opposed to looking at you. It looks like an episode of Max Headroom. If Mm. and no one remembers (laughs) that, but me. I (laughs) do. Yes. And thank you, thank you so much for your insight and um, the organization that you want to have with animals just all around the world. I'll be interested in helping you. So I can call you offline and we can figure something out because I really that be love that and do fun. believe that's amazing. Yes. And um, mm. I think I can hook you up with some people that can maybe carry that along. So thank you for thank what you do for the animals. Thank you for what you do for everyone. You are an angel. you really are an angel and a sweetheart. So thank, thank, you, thank you so you. much you for you joining you. us.
2: So great. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Thank you. Bye
0: you. Bye. 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 I could have talked to her for hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I kind of yeah. wanted to pick her brain, you know, and say, mm-hmm. so tell me more. But <laughs> she's just, um, I mean, if you look at her, I mean, besides she's hot. Um, it, obviously, I have a crush on her right now. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't take much right now. <laughs> but she doesn't look like that therapist. You know, she's just really kind of cool. She's laid back. She's spiritual in a way of here, not so much the woo-woo type mm-hmm, of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I would, I would, I'm not kidding you. We, we should go down. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been to Sedona. I've
0: been. It's oh, amazing. It's amazing. you know what? When it's you amazing. go down,
6: you should amazing. reach out to her. You should. I will. I'll send her an email. Yeah, send her an email. I'm gonna have somebody to with me. Casey and I are going, and we're gonna. Have a healing weekend. So. Wonderful.
0: Well, you better. Well, you'll have to bring back a report. But <laughs> see, go see her. She's really cool. Um, and um, anybody else have anything else happen this week that they want to? Besides you getting some big fucking ass award. Um, mm-hmm. anybody, how was your show last night oh, that we all you. blew it, off? Yes, it because you blew up I know, I'm not I'm telling
7: sorry. you, no, forget it. No, oh. you had <laughs> and i <laughs> and tell you how, how amazing w- it, was. W- it was. W- how was. How was Suzanne? Everything
0: we good? Many. It was wonderful. It was Can you really, just really, really get fun. your fu- why can't you do shows up here? I just, hey, I like her well, in Ventura.
6: let see.
1: I live in Orange County. I need something a little closer. But look, here's
0: the deal you
7: really need laughter too. Yeah, exactly.
1: what in
0: Orange County? But I mean, why can't you do something
7: up I here? do, every now and, uh, and then. I was just uh, at the improv last month, the beginning of the month. So oh, you every didn't tell us. Again, <laughs> oh, wait. We <laughs> didn't
0: really know you. <laughs>
7: <laughs> There's that. <laughs> do
0: you do, do Gays I do
2: that. Do that, that that's what I just did, yeah. I oh, just hosted cool. it for Aaron last month.
7: Okay.
1: Oh, Aaron mm, Foley.
2: Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. We should all do that. We yes.
1: should all do
7: that. What Absolutely. Is us? It is the first show, the first Wednesday of every month at the Improv. Off and on Melrose, it's, uh, gay yeah. comedians, and it's fun. So but you don't do it every month? Not every single month, though. No. Actually, when, when we first started, it was myself and Aaron and Jason Duty, and it was all three of us. We did every month, and then Aaron just kind of took Jason on. Jason. You Doody. mean sometimes you're not gay comedians, right? Jason Duty. Yeah. Jason. But Doody. I'm going to be at the Tampa Improv on December fourth, December eighth, Sunday, December eighth. So if you're in Tampa. Tampa, yes. Florida. It's an afternoon show because they're all down there. No, they are. Four o'clock at the Tampa In Tampa, Tampa I thought
0: they were all in Miami yeah, and Boca uh, yeah. and Fort Lauderdale. Everywhere deal. in
7: Florida. What? Everywhere so, in all, all, all the Midwesterners All the Midwesterners come. you
6: talk come. about Florida. What? <laughs> she Both of your Jersey come. accents came <laughs> I out like don't even have, have one. Jetty. I'm from the Midwest, from for Christ's Christ sake. Christ I sound
7: like this if I sound like an accent at oh, all. That's no, the I best accent I
6: talk like,
0: I'm talking like from New Jersey. Of course I can. Why not? So, anybody else? What are you doing? What's coming up for you besides another three way or some shit that you yeah. <laughs> Roxanne? Right now. <laughs> Which I think
1: you should always bring us up to date on. <laughs> right now, I'm just at a, at a halt in my life.
5: Okay. Yeah. Rest. I'm painting my kitchen. You're
7: painting your kitchen? Was- I so wouldn't help you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate painting. Uh, God bless you. I it's absolutely hate that book.
4: Amara Sh- Shane? Oh, I am, Um. well. I'm painting and um, not (laughs) painting a a kitchen. Oh, okay. Okay. I have like five projects going on in my head right now. But yeah, mostly just more painting. Well, where are we going to be at? We're going to be at the String Quartet, most
0: of us. Grammy Museum. Grammy Museum. December 4th. Um we've got the L O
2: L party. And December 5th, the girls at Whiskey Gogo. Yeah, Whiskey Gogo. We're wow, gonna go yeah. see um Cherie Curry and Bree Darling.
0: That's gonna be fun. And even if they don't want us up on that stage, we are we're gonna golden. get up. <laughs> up <laughs> <on that>. They <laughs> said yeah. we could. They did. <laughs> they, they said I, we could. I hold them to it. Then we've got then we're going to the Cindy Lauper thing oh, on yes. December 10th. We do things in packs now. Right? <laughs> right. Except go to comedy shows. <laughs> no, no, no. No, we will I promise <laughs> we won't go to the next one. I did, I worked. <laughs> I work a on a you. new That's show so called nice. Gang. You on. know
7: what? I don't even like driving up to Ventura. I don't blame you.
0: <laughs> Although uh, someone told me they took a a, a Lyft or an Uber from L.A. Huh? to Ventura, and it wasn't that much money. That's really. like 60 bucks. Yeah, it's, about, not yeah. it's not that much money. I mean, you would Wait, think round would trip? Like it's only no. Only 60? Oh, no, one, one way. way.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a lot to me. It <laughs> is a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, but if a few of us go, I mean, how does that work? If there's like if three people or four people in the car, do you, like, the, they charge you different times? No, time, you split it. just split it. it. Yeah. So that's not a lot. We should
1: do mm. that. We I can, don't we drink. I really, guys, Ventura
6: is not that far. From Orange County, it is, man. Really? No, 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 no! It's, no. Look, it's like a two-hour drive. No, Took me an hour night. to get here from, with look, it it traffic. With no traffic, it two yeah.
7: Drive. Without question, it's a two-hour yeah, it drive two it two hours at that time not. of day.
6: It, it, day. I have been doing it
7: for ten years, every month. You, it is a two-hour drive at that time of the day.
0: Because at that time of the day, yeah. Because yeah. that's why. I mean, I got out of work. I wasn't sure when I was going to get my photo shoot done, and when they said it was going to be five thirty or
7: six. Oh you didn't nope.
0: Mm-hmm. I would have met you for drinks somewhere <laughs> yeah, else because I would have yeah, totally uh,
7: missed the uh, show. Uh, okay.
2: If you'd been on at nine, I would have come by like getting tra- <sighs> rush hour to go from where I was. It was like two and a half hours. It was two and a half hours in the afternoon. And I'm like, oh, five o'clock.
0: That's going to be like four hours.
2: You know, it was crazy. Yes, it's just can't.
0: But Ventura is a beautiful place.
6: It really um, is. It's so- <laughs> <laughs> just too far. <laughs>
0: Um, okay, exactly. everyone. I think I think we're done, right? Yeah. Everybody else, okay? It's so funny how we went from like so intense to so like vomit, not intense, not intense, and and just like okay, this was too much to handle. Let's just be stupid for the last twenty minutes. Um, everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode of Between the Sheets here at United Broadcasting. You can follow me on Instagram. That's Cute Brat. We have Facebook pages Between the Sheets, uh, YouTube. You can catch the video portion on YouTube. Um, we're on iPodcasts and all those other. Friggin' things. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I, I need a social media person. So if anyone wants to work <laughs> for free, help me. Um, but we will be back on December, shit, sixth.
4: Six. Six. Fifth, sixth. Six. Hold on, Six. I don't know. <laughs> we'll be
0: back on December sixth. Six. And on that show, we will have Celeste Barbier. Mm -hmm. on you know her right Mm -hmm. Um, she will be showcasing her new EP for us first we'll hear it um, and I don't know I'll figure out who's going to be in the room we all may be here maybe not I want to wish my condolences and my love from Between the Sheets to Valerie Milano Um, her mother passed away this week she was supposed to be sitting at this table Um, so I do want to just say we love you and if you need anything please call us Um, thank you everybody for listening thank you you. thanks y'all we are we are who we are, and we have the numbers because of you guys, because we certainly don't have the money to pay anybody. <laughs> so I want to thank you for being here. I love you. I'm in gratitude. Namaste. Have a great week and a half.